Today we're going to be looking at Moses mainly, but also Aaron and, and Miriam, who are Moses' brother and sister. Uh, Moses is, it, this, is, this is a lot to get through in one sermon, so we're going to give it the best. Just remember that you know, this is just a glimpse of who, of who these people are. Uh, you could spend weeks and weeks on, on these three people alone. Huge impact on the history of the Bible comes from Moses, Aaron, and, and Miriam. Um, we looked at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, right? God promises Abraham, hey, if you follow after me, if you listen to me, if you do what I ask you to do, I'll, I'll bless you. And I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. And here, with Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, we see the beginning, really, of that promise coming true, of God making a people out of, out of the descendants of, of Abraham. So we're going to look at, look at these three, focusing mostly on Moses today, but the other three will come up as well. Moses is born in a rather turbulent time in history. The Israelites had grown into such a great number as they had lived in Egypt. They were forced in Egypt because of a famine. They're in Egypt, and they're growing. They're taking that whole thing in Genesis of being fruitful and multiplying thing rather serious, and they're growing and growing and growing. And a new king comes to power who doesn't know about what the Israelites had done for the Egyptians and, and what Joseph had done for them. And he's concerned about how, how great their number's becoming, and his worry is that they'll, they'll become a threat to his nation's security. And so the king asks the Hebrew midwives to kill all Israelite baby boys when they're born. So when you're helping the women give birth, if it's a boy, you kill it. If it's a girl, you let it live. Those midwives refuse to go along with Pharaoh's plan, and God blesses them. And because they refuse to do it, Pharaoh has to order an edict. And so he tells the entire country that when the Hebrews' baby boys are born, they need to be thrown into the Nile River. Girls live, but the boys thrown into the river. Now this is obviously a horrendous, horrendous act throughout history. This has happened multiple times. If you remember when Jesus is born, what happens to him? King Herod, worried about his power, worried about his control, does what? Same thing, right? Smaller scale, but the same thing. What happens to absolute power is absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see this in the Pharaoh in Egypt. We saw it with Herod in the New Testament, and we've seen it in time since. So Moses is born into an extraordinarily turbulent time in the Israelites' history. And the Israelites, of all the people that's ever walked the face of the earth, have a rather turbulent history, do they not? And this is part of it. So Moses is born. And this is the story, Exodus chapter 2. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him anymore, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And she placed a child in it put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So you understand why she does this. Moses is born, and Moses is supposed to be supposed to be killed, supposed to be thrown into the Nile River. And the mom can't, she can't do it. So she has that baby all by herself, most likely without making a noise, because if anyone hears that she's giving birth, that baby's going to be killed. And so she sucks it up, like moms do. She gives birth to Moses, and she hides him. Now, you can understand that every moment of her life at this, for those three months is stressful. 
She has to make sure that Moses doesn't start crying, right? Those cries are heard, and people go, hey, wait a second, we didn't know she had had a baby. What's going to happen? They're going to come and inspect and see if this is a boy or, or a girl. And she keeps that up for all this time, for three months, until she can't hide him any longer. It's impossible. And so she, hoping that he can be saved, makes a little, little boat, a little raft for him, and sticks him in that Nile River. Along the side of the shore of the river, where it's the safest for him to be, hoping that his life will be spared. You can imagine, for a moment, what she's going through when she does that. Anyone who's a parent knows how deeply you love your children. And for her to have to let Moses go and just trust that it's going to be okay is, is unimaginable for us to, to put ourselves in her shoes. And Miriam, who's his sister, is standing at a distance to see what's going to happen to him. And this is what happens. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? You see what's happening here. This is a very, very strange dynamic. Pharaoh's daughter, her dad's the one who issued the decree, right? All these boys, Hebrew boys, need to be killed. And she opens this basket and sees one of those little Hebrew boys, and she has what we call compassion. Something that her father apparently lacks. And she has mercy on little baby Moses. And she feels sorry for him. Now Miriam, because she's followed the baby, is there, right? She knows what's going on. And she goes, hey, can I, could I find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? There's lots of Hebrew women right now who are able to nurse without a baby to nurse, right? And this is what Pharaoh's daughter says. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got baby's mother, Moses' mom. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses' life begins extraordinary, I think we would say. But his, his mom, trusting and having faith, released Moses into the Nile River and got him back from the Nile River. was able to nurse him, help him grow to a certain age, and then gave him to the Pharaoh's daughter to be raised in, in Pharaoh's household. So Moses grows up essentially as an adopted prince in Pharaoh's home. If you've seen the prince of Egypt, you knew that already, right? the old cartoon. Now he grows under Pharaoh's in Pharaoh's household and under Pharaoh's rule. And at one point, Moses goes out to, to see these, his people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, who are slaves at this point, and he sees one of those slaves being beaten by an Egyptian man. And Moses, in anger, kills that man and hides his body. And when it's discovered, and Moses is kind of ratted out, what happens? Moses has to flee. He has to leave. And so he goes to a land named Midian, and there he becomes a shepherd. And as he's a shepherd there, God is going to reach out and speak to him. You've heard this story before, I'm sure. The story of that burning bush, right? Moses, the shepherd's out there with his sheep, lots of time all by yourself and alone, and he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed. Probably thinking he's maybe stayed up a little too late last night. Wanders over to it, and that's when God speaks to him, right? God speaks to him from the bush. And God says, I have a purpose for you, Moses. I have a good job for you to do. And this is... This is the job that God gives Moses. 
Moses, God says, I need you to go. Go back to your previous life. Back to the person and the family you used to be a part of. I need you to set my people free. I need you to bring them out of, out of slavery, from oppression. And Moses, his answer is this. Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, and I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. This is a section of Moses' life that's called the excuses time. God says, Moses, I need you to go and lead these people. And Moses goes, I'm not great at speaking. I don't like to be in front of people and talk. That's all of our excuses, right? I don't like to do that. God's, God's response, of course, is, did I ask you if you'd like to do that or not? I didn't remember that coming up in the conversation. Didn't, didn't come up. So I need you to go. What have we seen so far in this series of characters of the Old Testament? God asking people to go. This is the mission. This is what I have for you. Will you do it? We saw it with Jonah. What did he do? He ran the other way as fast as he could, right? Didn't work out so well for him. Ended up doing it anyways. We saw Abraham. God says, I need you to go. What's he do? He goes, right? God says, I need you to go to this strange land you've never been to. You'd leave everything you've ever known. And Abraham goes, yes, God, send me. Moses right now is leaning a little bit more towards Jonah than he is Abraham, isn't he? He's giving excuses. I love the last excuse where he's finally honest in verse 13, right? Because most of the time when we give excuses, they're lies. We just make them up. We just find some reason why we can't do it. Verse 13 is his, Moses finally telling the truth, right? I don't want to go. Send somebody else. Find somebody else to do this. I didn't go over so well. Verse 14. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. God says, all right, you've got lots of excuses. Enough. Enough with the excuses. It's time to go. Your brother will speak for you. You take this staff that has great power in it, and you go. You do what I ask you to do. Now remember for Moses, it isn't just about public speaking that he's worried, right? It's not just about getting in front of people. It's returning to a life that he, he left. He left it for a reason. He'd killed somebody, right? This isn't like he's going to go back into Pharaoh's house and be like, oh, Moses, it's been so, so great to see you. We've missed you all this time. That's not the greeting he's going to have, right? And so we've all been there of having to go back to a place in which maybe you, you, you made a mistake. Maybe you didn't make a real great choice, or maybe you said something hurtful, and now you have to go meet that person again, or you have to go back there with your tail between your legs, right? It's not much fun. So for Moses, he's going, well, what am I going back to? How will it be? God continues to tell Moses what to do. As the Lord said to Aaron, this is Moses' brother, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. 
They also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I included that in there to get you seeing that this is going to be a family affair. Miriam, Moses, and Aaron are going to have to do this together. Now, we credit Moses with most of it, but it's, it's a team that God brings together, and they're siblings. But what I really wanted to show you is verse 31 of this section, because I think those words are beautiful. Moses and Aaron get the Israelites, the elders together in the, the Israelite community and say, this is what God has said we're going to do. We're going we're to free you guys from oppression and slavery. And look what the words of verse 31 are. And when they, God's people, right, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. That's something we all need to know is that somebody cares. Someone cares. When we're in the midst of a difficult time, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, that somebody's willing to stretch out an arm and say, and a hand and say, hey, I'm here for you. And to me as Christians, that's one of our greatest callings that God gives us is the ability to do that for people. People who are in deep, deep pain. I've got to do that a lot because of being a part of the fire service and being a chaplain of the fire service, get to spend a lot of time with people who are hurting. And when I say hurting, I mean the deepest, darkest hurts you could possibly have. When you're on the side of an interstate with someone, a mother who just lost her son, I mean, that's, that, that hurt is, is unreal. And what, what advice I would give you is in those moments is to just show up. You don't have to come with words because your words will be shallow and empty and, and they won't mean a thing. Because your words and my words can't bring people back to life. But when someone's hurting, what you can do is just be there. Say, hey, I've heard about the misery you're in. And I want you to know that I'm here. And that whatever you need, I'll be here. That's what God does for the Israelites when they're in, in captivity, when they're slaves, when they're oppressed in Egypt. Is he, he says, I care. I've heard your cries. And I'm here, I'm here to help. And that's what we can do as Christians, is just be there to help when people are hurting and they're hurting deeply. And that means so much to people when we come. And we just, whether it's you bring a casserole or a lasagna or you just come with a card or you come empty-handed and just say, hey, I'm here and I care. The story continues. And... You know the story. I'm going to skip the part that we all probably know. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says, absolutely not. I've got a free workforce. They're not going anywhere. And God brings down the ten plagues. And he gets after it. Because God, he means business. When you cross him, things aren't going to go all that well for you. Remember, Pharaoh was thought of essentially as a god himself in Egypt, right? And what God does is God attacks Egypt and all their gods and various different signs and wonders as performed. And he brings the plagues on the Egyptians so they get to the point where they can't handle it anymore. And finally they say, hey, hey, go. Enough's enough. Leave. And they, they cross through the Red Sea on dry ground and the Egyptians pursue after them and, and the Egyptians are, are killed. And when they're, they're done, there's a beautiful song that we find in Exodus 15. I'm just going to read it to you. That's written by Moses and Miriam, his sister, about what's happened, about how God has, has freed them. 
And it says this, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officials are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies in your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistine. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them by the power of your arm. They will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord... You made for your dwelling the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. It's a beautiful song as the Israelites celebrate redemption. They celebrate being freed, being bought back from slavery. That's an interesting thing. And it's been a part of it since God created the world is what music does for us. As we talk about, Stacey and I got, got a chance to go up to the the contest yesterday did the, the opening prayer. And the judges came out and played. Each judge played. And during one of the judges, and I'm not particularly, I mean, I don't mind fiddle music or, or violin. It doesn't, I don't listen to it in the car. But as one of the judges played a song, you know when you listen to music and you just, something happens, you know? And you can't really explain it and you just, you just feel it. And one of the judges was playing and was like, man, I just caught, got caught up in it. And I just think about God's beautiful creation of music. And what music does for us. And as the Israelites have, have just been, been led by God through the Red Sea on dry ground, and the, and the, and the Egyptians who are chasing after them to kill them are, are swallowed up in the water, and all they can, the Israelites can do is stop and sing. And sometimes for us, the same is true. When, when things are just overwhelming and life is a little too much, you find that song or those songs that bring you back, and you hit play. And you just let them speak to your soul and your heart. And how powerful is God's creation of music? It's actually one of the things that, we, that people use in defense of, of God as creator, as God as existing. It's something that people who don't believe in God, who are atheists, actually can't explain. Music. Why does it do what it does? Why does it cause us to feel the way we, we feel? You can try to explain it with neurons, and th- it's, it can't be explained that way. It's far too great, great for that. 
So we go from a high moment here of the Israelites being redeemed to a few chapters later of one of the lowest. And life is that way, isn't it? Mountaintop one day, the bottom of the valley floor the next. Now some time passes here, and God has called Moses up on the mountain. You remember this. God's going to give them the Ten Commandments. God tried to give it to the people, but they said, whoa, no, God, too powerful, too strong, can't handle it, we'll, we'll die. But Moses will go up and do it for us, right? So Moses gets to, up the hill he goes, onto Mount Sinai, and meets with God in the mountain, and the thunder and the cloud as God appears there. And as he's doing this, as Moses is receiving those Ten Commandments, the people at the bottom of the mountain are losing faith. doesn't take them long. Now, I love to poke fun of the Israelites throughout history, but the problem with the Israelites is they're a lot like us. You know, you poke fun of them, it's that finger thing, right? You point a finger there and you've got three of them pointing back at you. It's that type of situation here. They're literally receiving the law from God. They've heard God's literal voice booming from the heavens. And Moses has taken too long, and so they go, well, let's make a God ourselves. I don't know what Moses is up on that mountain doing. I don't know if he fell asleep. I don't know if he died, but he's apparently not coming back. So, hey, Aaron, we got some gold. Will you build us a calf? We'll worship that calf. What they're doing is reverting back to, to Egypt, back to slavery, back to a mindset of this thing is our God, right? And so they do that. Aaron, not in his greatest moment of leadership, probably actually his worst, agrees and goes along with the people, which that means you're not a leader then. If that's, don't take that title on. If you're just going to go, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they create a golden calf. And, and God, as Moses meets with them on the mountain, says, hey, you might want to get back down the mountain. They're turning on you, right? And of course, Moses comes down the mountain and is just, as any of us would be, a little frustrated, right? Breaks the, the tablets, the first set of tablets, and people lose their life. Not a good moment for Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. But it's still a moment, and it's still there. And maybe you and I can think of our golden calf moment or moments we look back on life and go, that wasn't real smart. I shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have, whatever it is, right? But our God, luckily for us, is a God who redeems, a God who puts things back together. But it takes a while. It doesn't always happen right away. And what I want you to do is I want to take you to, to Numbers 12 because more conflict's going to happen within the family when you're a leader, you make choices sometimes, and people don't always like those choices. And Moses has made some choices that his siblings aren't agreeing with. And so in Numbers chapter 12, we see one of those moments. It says this, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he has married a Cushite. So they don't like Moses' wife. This never happened to anybody else's family, I'm sure. Right? This, this, is, this, will, not, this will not hit home for any of you. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. What are they doing? They're questioning Moses' leadership, right? They're saying, hey, why is Moses always the mouthpiece for God? God spoke through us before. Why can't he do it again? Why do we need Moses? He's, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Now Moses, verse 3, was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. When God says it about you, by the way, that's a pretty cool compliment. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam... All three of them are going to get together. This is, this is conflict resolution 101, right? When two of them are talking behind the other one's back and there's conflict, you, you know what you do? You sit them down. 
hey, this is going to be real awkward. This isn't going to be much fun, but we're going to do it anyways. And so God calls them all together, right? Moses, Aaron, Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When God says that, by the way, it's time to listen. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. Clearly, and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease and said, and said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. I showed you this to show you that their family, like yours, isn't perfect. And Aaron and Miriam experienced what we would call jealousy. They look at Aaron, they look at Moses, their brother, their sibling. Miriam helped rescue, right? I mean, she followed that little baby boy as he went down the Nile River. He goes, he's getting a little big for his britches, isn't he? And God says, no. No. He's the one I chose. He's the leader. You need to follow. You need to listen. It's a lesson for all of us. Sometimes we can get a little big for our own britches, can't we? And think that we're owed something or that we should have a gift or a talent that that person has and we and God says, I've given you your gift, I've given you your job, and do it. Be faithful in it. If there's any lesson we learn from this entire series of characters of the Old Testament, it's that, that we have different gifts, different abilities, different talents that God gives us. And God asks us to use the ones we have, not somebody else's. And Miriam and Aaron, I think, struggled in that moment of wanting Moses' gift. Why can't we be the mouthpiece? Why can't we speak? And God goes, hey, I chose him. For a reason. He's the one. Trust me in that. So what, really what they were doing is they were, they were questioning God's leadership, not Moses's. if you think about it. That's never a good idea. Sad moment for the family happens here in Numbers 20. It says, In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. And there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. I want you to imagine putting yourself in Aaron and Moses' shoes for a minute. Their sister has just died. Now, these three are close. They're siblings. They fight, but they're close. I mean, they've done this whole thing together. And Miriam has died. And Moses and Aaron are just hurting at the death of their sibling. And of course, you guys have experienced this in life. When you think it can't get any worse, what happens? Somebody piles on. And Moses and Aaron are just trying to mourn their sister. And what happens? They don't have any water. Instead of finding a shovel and digging a hole, what do the people do? 
but they do all along. There's a reason they spent 40 years in the wilderness, guys. God had to kill them off for this very reason. A bunch of whiners. And that's what they are. I mean, there's no other way of reading the Old Testament without looking at the Israelites going, these guys need to stop. There's no water. And so they, they gather together. And instead of gathering together and digging a nice big well, what do they do? They have a meeting, right? Get a shovel and get to... What, I don't you got all these people. Start digging. No, we're going to complain. Because God's provided for us all along, so we'll just whine and he'll provide for us another time. So they, now they're turning on Moses and Aaron. In verse 3 it says, They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. This, I can't handle whining. If only... They, I skipped the part where they just got out of Egypt and they already whined and wanted to go back, right? We'd rather be slaves and die out here in the desert. It's like God's literally raining down food on them and providing water for them. They go, oh, let's turn back. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the, this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? Has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Wah, 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 Right? Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meetings and fell face down. Good for them, because I wouldn't have done this. I'd have started smacking people probably. It's like, come on. They go, nope, go to God in prayer, which is right. That's what we should do. I can't tell you I would have made the same choice. But They fall down before God. And God appears to them in verse 7. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother, Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. He will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. God says, see that rock over there? There's no chance water's coming from it. Hit it with your staff, Moses, and water will come out of it. Which is God trying to tell them, hey, dum-dums, listen. I've been here all along. I'll provide for you. I didn't bring you out here to kill you. He's already provided for them time and time and time again, and they're not getting it, right? And so he says, okay, maybe they'll get it this time. You hit a rock and water will come out of it. Maybe then they'll realize, hey, God's got our back. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. It's a nice name for him. Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and the livestock drank. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you do not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. See, Moses and Aaron had a little lapse of judgment. God didn't tell them to strike the rock twice. He said, just speak in front of it with your staff in your hand and water will come out of it. And Moses makes a mistake. And the mistake is he tries to take credit for God's God's miracle. As we've all learned in life, if you've lived longer than about two minutes, that our choices have consequences, don't they? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Moses, it's not great. Now Moses has been faithful and faithful and faithful. And he's about to die. And so he gives one last sermon. Any good preacher would do. One last sermon to the people. And if you read Deuteronomy, the book Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. That's what it means. So he, he gives them God's commands and covenant again. 
But there's a consequence to what Moses had just done. You pick it up in Deuteronomy 34, verse 4. It says, And the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross into it. God takes him to the promised land. Remember, Moses has been leading these people for 40 years, putting up with their whining for 40 years, and God says, hey, because you did this, you're not going to enter in, but I'll let you see it. So God takes him there and lets Moses see this land that he's been striving for for all these years. And in verse 5, it says, As Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peror, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses makes a big mistake. And the, the consequence is he doesn't get to enter the promised land with the people. Somebody else is going to take that leadership role on and do it. But I wanted to show you that because even in our mistake, even when we've sinned and fallen short, God is a God of redemption. I don't know if you caught it there in the end, but who's the one who buries Moses? God himself. Which to me is a sign of God saying, hey, you made a mistake. But I got you. I got you. How many other people does God bury himself? The Israelites have no clue where he's buried because God did the burying. Tells you what God thinks about Moses. That even though he's a flawed person like the rest of us, even though he makes mistakes, God rewards his faithfulness and rewards his service with the, the greatest burial anyone will ever have. And God himself does the burial and conducts the service. See, what we can learn from Moses, from Aaron and Miriam, and this, as I told you, a very quick view of it, is that faithfulness matters, that choices, our choices matter. When God says go, man, you better go. You can try to do the Moses thing and give excuses all you want, but God's going to get his way. It's much better if you do it willingly than if you go dragging your feet, as we saw with Jonah, right, when we talked about crybaby. Well, I don't know what God's telling you to do in your life. Maybe it's stay. Maybe it's not go. But whatever it is, listen. Because God, God will see you through it. might not be easy. might not always be, feel great. But God will see you through. He's done it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to people who say yes to him and then the rest of their life is changed. Your life and my life can be the same if we just say, God, yes, I'll go. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather in this place and to worship you. Father, we thank you for Moses, for Aaron and Miriam. We look at their life and we realize that they're not perfect, just like us. They made mistakes, just like we do. But there's one thing we have in common, God, and that is a willingness and a want to follow you with everything we have. And so, God, help us to have that same spirit that, that Moses, Miriam, and Aaron have of saying, God, yes, I'll go. Whatever you need me to do, God, I'm in. Whatever that means, God, for us. And help us to determine that. We know that your Holy Spirit will work on our hearts and will, will help us to see what it is in our life that we need to change or do. What it is that we need to. What it is that we need to, to follow you with everything we have. And so God, help us to do that. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Who gives us, who offers us a better way of life. A life of forgiveness and compassion and mercy and grace. It's in his name we pray and all God's people say.